The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Top five movies. Movies. Top five. Top five movies. Top five. Top five movies. Top five. Top five. Top five movies. Top five movies. Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Top Five Movies. It's me, John Burke, with Corey Star. Hello, hello. And unfortunately, on this Mother's Day that we're recording, Mike couldn't be here with us. But we have his list, so we will be talking about Mike's top five. Um, Corey, how's it going? It's going. I just woke up not too long ago, so. (laughs) Uh, Behind the scenes, a little peek behind the curtain, if you will. Usually, we record top five on Sundays at 7 p.m., um, but because it's Mother's Day, we started rearranging things, and then it still kind of didn't work out. But we're recording at 12 o'clock noon, um, Florida time, and Corey is in Idaho. So she literally just got uh, woken up, basically, by my obnoxiousness of, Hey, Corey, are you ready? Are you ready, Corey? Corey? <laughs> oh, no. Um, but our top five topic for this week is directorial debut. So this is a director's first film. Um, and this was a fun topic I found uh, researching because one, it gave me a chance to see how many um, directors like made amazing first films, which was way more than I would have expected, actually. Yes, and I was like, "What am I doing with my life?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not it, that I want to make films, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, we we just watched, um, oh my gosh, Boogie Nights, and uh-huh. that was Paul Thomas Anderson's film second. debut nope oh it was the second oh that's right but he was only 27 when he made this one yeah and i'm just like holy heck and that movie is considered by many a masterpiece and it it, it demonstrates his understanding of film at a far superior level than most 27 year olds would have a grasp of you know um and, and like his other film we actually will be watching his debut in two weeks for movie club um, you picked it. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's like Hard Eight or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and that was not the original name of that film. Apparently, they renamed that. But um, yeah, that's his debut. And then like, then you have filmmakers like Edgar Wright, who's technically his film debut is Shaun of the Dead, but he, it's actually a fistful of fingers, I believe, um, is his debut. But it didn't do big numbers, nor was it a wide release, or I don't even think it got distribution. But that was his first feature film, which is supposed to be being re-released on Blu-ray this year, in fact. And Oh, that's um, awesome. I know I cannot wait to get it. Um, one, because I want to see all of his movies. And but So technically, his debut wasn't his debut. And so that that's like one of the gray areas. I, we're not going to be too strict on our rules here. I feel like all of mine meet the criteria of this is the director's first feature film. Um, and I, I have a lot of honorable mentions because it was very hard narrowing this down to five and I'm still not a hundred percent. Um, but Mike sent us his list and Mike, uh, I'll be reading his list. Uh, so Corey doesn't know either of our list. I already know Mike's, um, and we did have one in common, but I changed it since, uh, I already knew his. So I wanted to be able to talk about 10 movies, um, rather than, you know, nine movies between the two of us. So, um, if you've never listened to top five movies before, here's how this usually goes. Uh, we pick a topic and we build our list in re- in secret, and then we reveal our list to each other on the episode and we poke fun, comment, make jokes, and or go, oh, how come I didn't think of that? As that is usually the case. Although this one definitely has a limited pool. Uh, some of our topics are much more general, and it could be literally anything. This they limits take a lot of liberties. Yeah, and this one limits severely what's available for you to pick from, as uh, it has very specific criteria. But 
an important note before we move on this is episode number 99 uh so we're almost at that big uh triple digit break this will be our first podcast that hits triple digits um we have slowed down our top five movies we are doing bi-weekly uh, we originally started weekly, and so um, yeah, it's it's exciting that next week is going to be our episode 100. Um, we've done this for almost three. Oh, I think this is our third year now that we're in. Um, but yeah, it's crazy to think that you know this started just a couple years ago, and all of these episodes have come and gone already. Um, and we have a lot more to come. So we hope if you like what we're doing that you will keep listening. Uh, tell your friends about us. Um, comment, email, let us know what you think, and of course. If you really love what we're doing and you want to help us out, we have a Patreon available. Um, you can do as little as a dollar a month um, and as much as you want, but um, there's all sorts of goals and rewards that I'm revising, trying to figure out what's the best thing we can offer our listeners. Um, I want to make it enticing. I'm not asking for handouts. like I'm not sitting on the corner just asking to give me your spare change. But, um, you know, this is something that we love doing, and we currently uh, don't have an income coming in, and we'd love to have something to, to regenerate the expenses um, just so we can keep this going for the years to come. So if you like our content, you want to support, hit us up on patreon.com slash burkreviews or go to burkreviews.com and click on the link to Patreon. All right, enough of the business stuff. Corey, what do you got to tell him? Guys, from here forward, we're going to be talking about these movies probably in great detail. Spoiler warnings, you've been warned. And you can go to burkreviews.com and check out each of our top five lists before proceeding. That's right, folks. And you can check the show notes too in your if your podcast app supports that. Uh, usually it's a flip to the left or scroll up and it'll show you um, details of the episode and our top five list is included in that as well. So uh, the other thing we do now, I can't participate because um, I'm looking at Mike's list, but we usually like to take a get a guess of how many of Mike's movies have we seen. Um, I'm looking at his list and I know exactly how many I, I've seen of his. So Corey, how many of Mike's top five do you think you have seen? Oh, that, that's hard. Um, because I feel like I've seen a lot of, well, not a lot, but a good amount, but also Mike tends <laughs> to, you know, watch things I've never even heard of. I'm going to go with two. Oh, two. Okay. Um, now that you've said your guess, I'm going to, I'm going to say I have seen two of the movies on his list. I have seen two. So you have a very good chance, I think, of getting this. Um, I actually think you might have seen three, uh, but there's one oh. on here that I've not seen. Um, okay. But I'm not 100% of that, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But, all right, Mike's going to start us off. So uh, Mike's not here. I'll be reading his list, then me, then Corey, and we rotate until we get to our number ones. So Mike's number five, and I'm going to pull it up because I actually am not super familiar with this movie other than it has been on one of Mike's lists in the past. Um, and it is Decline of Western Civilization. Uh directorial debut of amy heckerling make sure i have the right movie that is not the right movie um amy oh wait i'm wrong i have the right movie i read the wrong name sorry mike i've already ruined this whole thing because i was like um, i thought that was yeah that's i've ruined his number four uh number five oh, is no. penelope spheris uh and i'm not sure i'm saying that right but it looks like it uh decline of western civilization um and to any listener who likes to criticize my pronunciation of names telling me that I should get the pronunciation before the episode. I literally got this list from Mike two minutes before we started recording. I did not have time to look up these names, but Decline of Western Civilization has a 93 Metascore, which is only from nine critic reviews, but still, that's pretty high. 7.7 user review. The Los Angeles punk music scene, circa 1980, is the focus of the film with Alice ba Bagband, Black Flag, Catholic Discipline, Circle Jerks, Fear, Germs, etc. It's a documentary history music about punk, and I Mike has talked about this film before, I think maybe in our music movie episode or something, but... 
I still haven't seen it, um, and it's one that uh, obviously this has got this director quite a bit of a career. Um, I think I hope I didn't just jump the gun. Oh yeah, because she ends up later directing Wayne's World, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, I just rewatched that. But oh yeah. my gosh, if you look at her, she kind of looks like Garth. What? <laughs> just the oh, glasses man. and the hair. Dude, she totally does. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Cor- Corey, have you ever seen uh, Decline of Western Civilization? I have not. This is a movie that I wow, feel like wow. you and I would both love and for some reason we haven't seen mm-hmm. it um i am i am a fan of docs i know you you tend to avoid documentaries i make special exceptions for music ones though yes music ones generally are far more engaging um you know and they don't have to pay for music licensing usually because they're covering oh. well they're working with the band so they usually get access to that music because they're working with the bands not all but many of them do the bands you know they want that they want that exposure like yeah yeah please use our song so people can hear us and continue to listen to us but um like i just saw the um godfathers of hardcore documentary at the florida film festival with my daughter and i never heard of agnostic front um they were a a, you know a 80s hardcore band that carried they're still playing still touring today um and i've never really been i wouldn't say i'm against hardcore but i've never really i guess listened to that genre um and man just like hearing their music and kind of seeing them play and stuff I, i was i was hooked and so was my daughter so um, music documentaries like this definitely interest me. I, I'm going to have to see if this one's available digitally. Do it. All right. Well, that uh, that was Mike's number five, Penelope Spheris, Decline of Western Civilization from 1981. Mine is also from the 80s, my first one, my number five. Um, and it's from a director who I'm not a fan of now so much, oh. um, but I was a big fan of his early work. Um, oh. And so it makes sense that his debut won me over, in fact, and I would argue is probably the best of the franchise. Um, Now, he did several shorts, several, several, several shorts. Um, Well, now I'm questioning if this is accurate. I'm looking at IMDb, and there's another feature-length film, it looks like, on the list, even though the Wikipedia thing that I was using to find my uh, content had this movie listed as his debut. So somebody is wrong, but I'm going to go with it anyways, Corey. Uh, Don't shoot the messenger. Um, I'm going with Sam Raimi from 1981, the yes. uh, Evil, the Evil Dead, um, which is I love Evil Dead too, and I love the Army of Darkness um, or Army of Darkness, excuse me. But I, Evil Dead scared the living crap out of me yeah. when I saw it the first time, and I went in thinking it was going to be funny based on what I heard of uh, Army of Darkness and Evil Dead too, not realizing that this movie is a straight up horror film. This is not a horror comedy. Um, that's not to say you you don't laugh at some of the crazy stuff that happens because there is lots of fake blood. Um, the monster says some screwed up stuff that is pretty like it's darkly funny. Um, but I I love this first film. Like they retcon everything that happens in this movie in Evil Dead Two. But I uh, the legend of this film too that they went into the woods for a weekend, uh, just like basically skeleton crew. It's like Rami his the four actors that we see or five actors that we see in the movie. And then um, I think maybe a couple of other people for the crew. And that's it. Like buckets of fake blood. Like there's like a legend behind them filming this. They literally went into a cabin in the middle of the woods and made a horror film. Um, And it's great. It's excellent. There's so many things that like for a first feature. And again, I'm now debating whether or not this is truly Sam Raimi's first feature or not. Because there's a movie called It's Murder from 1977. That looks like it is a feature. I don't know if it was ever distributed. Um, Maybe it was released after Evil Dead like to the public. Um, You know, like. A retrospective kind of thing like you know a band will re-release their first like local album 
when they get big kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know for a fact, much like I just mentioned with uh, Fistful of Fingers, though. But um, I, I love so many of Raimi's early stuff. I love Evil Dead 2. I actually like Darkman. Army of Darkness is great. I like The Quick and the Dead. Um, and then he does Spider-Man. And I loved Spider-Man when it came out. I it has I have soured severely on the Spider-Man trilogy from Raimi. Um, and he basically hasn't done anything super noteworthy. Some people like Drag Me to Hell. I didn't love it. Oz I liked Powerful. it a lot. Oz the Great and Powerful I wasn't super hooked on. I still need to watch Ash vs. Evil Dead. I'm sure I will love those. Um, but oh. I, uh, those, I believe, are season one and two are on Netflix. But I actually bought both uh, b- the box They just sets. canceled it, didn't they? Oh, on Stars, did they? I think so. Oh, I could be lying. Well, I still want to watch the seasons that are out. Uh, I ha- and I own season one and two. I just have to actually sit and watch it, which will be something I probably do this summer. But um, I just I think Evil Dead is a really great example of what you can do on a almost no budget uh, with a group of people who are dedicated to um, making a, a movie that's well structured. It's entertaining. Um, it definitely hits on the horror genre, and it it holds up. You know, almost forty years later, um, it's Ooh. still yeah, it's still really great. Um, still one that I try to watch every Halloween because I just I love it. So that's my number five. Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. It's a great pick, and I love that movie. And I um, watched those movies um, in high school. Is when I first you know was introduced to them. And actually, Bill's mom bought me Evil Dead on DVD way back in you know in the day but uh i really love those movies and i did like drag me to hell and i just remember walking out of the theater and somebody's like what was this they were trying to like mix comedy and horror and i'm like you've obviously not seen any of his other films man yeah walk on um but i feel like that's a great pick and i'll go to my number five okay what's your number five I'm going with Jean Pierre Genot. I'm uh, saying that wrong, probably, but Jean-Pierre Delicatessen. Genois. Yes. Genois. Thank you. Um, from 1991. I love this movie, and this is one of those movies that I wanted to watch just because of the cover. I did not know that he also directed Amelie, which we both watched for Movie Club and loved, mm-hmm. but I just really love so much about delicatessen it's so ridiculous it's a black comedy i big time just think it's so great uh the storyline is i can't think of any other movie that i've really seen before that has done something like that and you know taken it made it comedic but that's my number five that's a really cool pick and i didn't even think about that one and it's interesting because uh to be fair i get i think you have to give credit to the other guy too Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Caro um, is his co-director on this film, and they do another movie, The City of Lost Children, which I just saw <gasps> a I couple of months that. ago. And um, you really liked that, right? I did. Yes. Um, it's not as I don't love it as much as Amelie or Delicatessen, but <clears> it's definitely you see a similar kind of take on things. It's it's great uh, for sure. But um, I mean, it's so crazy because I love those three films, and then you're like, oh, and he did Alien Resurrection. And we're like, what happened? What went wrong? Yeah, it's so bad um, by comparison. <sighs> Easily the worst of the Alien movies. Um, but yeah, this... No this, contest. He has three films that are outstanding. And I do think Amelie is his masterpiece, though. I absolutely adore Amelie. I love that film so much. Um, I've watched it twice, and it's one that I desperately want to teach in my class. But the her, her two hobbies are one she likes to listen to. Or she likes to wonder how many people are having orgasms at any given time. Uh, That little montage of people having orgasms (laughs) makes it not something I can show in class. And I could skip that scene, but it's such an interesting quirk about her that I hate, like, taking it away at the same time. Yeah, I think that his characters are just really well written. Yeah, yeah. and his visual style, though, is just so stunning. The color palettes that he chooses and 
the way he presents the world it's just so gorgeous um he's definitely a really talented director i actually didn't i don't i didn't see him on the list that i, I was using that wikipedia list and i don't know uh, i think it might be listed under the other guy Mark first Caro, possibly yeah I if you tried, were under one i tried just scanning the movie titles because like I, it didn't matter who the director was if i hadn't seen the movie so i was just mm-hmm. like looking at the movie titles but i was i skimmed it really late so i probably was like half asleep and passed right over it but um, that's definitely a great pick. I, I'm a huge fan uh, of his work. Yeah, and again, this was easily... I honestly think this is one of the hardest lists because there. I, I ended up going a lot older for the most part with my movies. Um, I'm all over the place, actually, when I look at mine. But I could have filled... I said this to Mike that I could have filled my top five from directors in the last, like, three years. Um, there mm-hmm. are enough debuts that I'm just so blown away by. Um, but I ended up going for more tried and true, like, directors who have since impressed me uh with something else where some of the the debuts haven't had a chance to impress me just yet so i kept them off the list for now but they're they're gonna get honorable mentions later but um i I love this pick so definitely a great one if you haven't seen delicatessen it was on netflix i think when we watched it back for movie club um it may not be there now but keep an eye out for it it comes and goes on netflix all the time i say if you like black comedy just go buy it yeah, and you can listen to our, our episode of uh, Burke Reviews Movie Club, where we review Delicatessen, um, and also uh, Alien Resurrection, and also Amelie. We've done all three of those oh, movies. Heck. I think, I'm pretty sure we did Delicatessen as a movie club episode, um, early, so. early on. I, I know think- for sure we did Amelie <laughs> and Alien Resurrection, because we did um, Alien Resurrection right before Alien Covenant came out, and uh, neither of us liked it, so... <laughs> no, it was a sad day. Uh, Alright, so Mike's number four, I've never seen... Uh, I've already said the director's name, Amy Heckerling, um, who is oh. a very talented director uh, I, who did, um, I guess, more. She looks like she's got more writing credits that I'm familiar with, but um, she did Loser, which I'm a fan of. She directed Clueless and the Clueless TV series, which is interesting. Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking 2, um, <clears throat> Johnny Dangerously with Michael Keaton. Um, but her debut and what's on Mike's list is Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982 and A Confession. I've never seen this movie. Um, I have. Ah, so that's one for you already, Corey. And that was not one. That was the one I thought you might have seen that I wasn't guaranteeing. So uh, I still think you got two more that you have seen. Oh, you know what? In retrospect, I think maybe only one. I just realized oh. uh, there's one that probably you have not seen that I am taking liberty of knowing I put a lot of effort into seeing. Um, this movie's written by Cameron Crowe as well, so that's obviously got a pedigree there. Uh, 67 Metascore, 7.2 IMDb rating. A group of Southern California high school students are enjoying their most important subjects, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Stars Sean Penn, Jennifer Jason Lee, which I did not realize Jennifer Jason Lee was in this. That makes me want to watch it all the more. Judge Reinhold, um, and then some other people. But uh, Mike has it as his number four, and it's one that I know I should watch, but I just feel like it's so going to be 80s in gross that I won't. I don't know that I'll latch on or not. So what, what do you think, Corey? You've seen this movie. I've only seen it one time, and um, I was in high school. Hmm. I kind of like some of the stuff around the movie that um, she had to do. I'm pretty sure she had to do some editing and take some stuff out so that it wasn't rated X. Oh, wow. I think. I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I've... But they were, like, remastering the movie or something back when I was in high school or re-releasing it. Something was going on where there was a lot of hubbub and talking about it. Um, but, like I said, that's a long time ago. Yeah. But I feel like it's a cool debut, and I didn't realize she made all those movies. I've seen mm-hmm. pretty much all of those movies, except for one or two that you mentioned. Uh, and I didn't realize... I, I scrolled through the <laughs> cast while you were talking, and Nick Cage was in this. 
And um, oh yeah, Forrest Whitaker. I for- oh dang. Yeah, that's the biggest curveball I think. Because uh, I don't know how young he is here. If he's like old enough to still be a teacher in this movie, or if he is he a student. I would imagine he's a student in '82. But um, I I think I may have seen like this like on Comedy Central or something when I was like really young. You know, like edited for TV. Um, but I I it's one that I'm super familiar with, mind you. Like everyone talks about this movies when you look at the '80s. You know, big list of the party movies. This is definitely high up on that list. And it's just something that I've never sat and watched or looked to watch, you know? Um, mm-hmm. No no offense, of course, to it, but it's it's something that I will uh, I will eventually end up seeing or whatever, but just haven't got there yet. All right, my number four is a director who is, it is fairly new. It's from, uh, he made his debut in 2008 um, and has since, though, uh, been pretty recognized as a talented director, especially this past year, getting a few Oscar nominations. Um, I went with um, Martin McDonough and his uh, directorial debut in In Bruges, um, which I think we did a movie club episode for. I don't know. I've only seen it one time. Then maybe not. Um, I I couldn't remember for sure if I just watched it on my own. I love, I actually saw his second film first. I saw Seven Psychopaths um, and I love that, especially because Sam Rockwell's in it and I'm a huge Sam Rockwell fan. Christopher Walken in that movie also is great. Woody Harrelson's in that as well. Um, And he does have a tendency to do that because his first film, uh, In Bruges, stars... Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and um, uh, there he is, Ray Fiennes, and there's a few other people in there, but those are your three bigs, and Colin Farrell then will go on to do Seven Psychopaths, where the two actors from Seven Psychopaths would do his third feature film, which is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is where he got a lot of Oscar nominations, but um, in Bruges, is it, it's so hard to believe that's a debut. It's so interestingly structured. Um, and he, I believe, has written all of these as well. So that makes it even more impressive. Um, the the dialogue is witty. It's snappy. Uh, Colin Farrell is at the top of his game in In Bruges. It's such a dark, funny movie because it's a movie about hitmen um, who are hiding out after a hit goes slightly awry. And him dealing with that, like the repercussions of it, there's there's so much there. And, and all three of his films have dark humor like i was i wouldn't say any of them are straight up comedies but they all feature humor in the movies although this one does list itself as a comedy crime drama um three billboards i'd say goes much heavier into the drama but there's still mm-hmm. moments where it's clearly meant to get a laugh and um it is he's just a really talented original clear distinct voice in all of his films you you know it's a martin mcdonough film uh, when you watch them, and I I really really enjoy his work. So again, this one's from 2008, so I did get a little close. Um, but I was so blown away by uh, all three of his movies. I think each one kind of left me just staring at the screen when it ended, just like wow, what did I just see? And um, they stick with you. Like I remember distinctive scenes from this movie. Um, Seven Psychopaths I saw several years ago. I mean, like right after it came out, I saw it, and or right after it came out on Blu-ray or whatever, I rented it, and I've not forgotten several scenes from that movie because it's such an interesting story. It's very meta because Colin Farrell's character is a screenwriter, um, and just how everything ties together. Like what he's writing is also the movie that we're watching, but it's not, and it's uh, it's crazy. And then um, Three Billboards I've seen twice in the theater and was really impressed with that film. So. That's my my number four. I didn't realize that was the same director, but um, I've seen him Bruges and uh, obviously throw three billboards, which I mm-hmm. thought was great. Um, my number four is from 1994. I picked this movie up like I do a few um, during the Criterion sale ah. at Barnes and Noble, and I was like, oh my god, this is directed by da 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 Danny Boyle, and oh, okay. I needed to see it. 
and I've only seen it one time, but <clears throat> I chose 1994 Shallow Grave, which this starts his, um, he ends up having a pretty long career with Ewan McGregor, yeah. acting in Mo- a good number of his films, but um, three roommates in Edinburgh um, decide to take in a new roommate to help with bills, and he ends up dying, and he has a lot of money, and it just shows all three of them turning against each other. Um, pretty funny, pretty dialogue heavy. Um, I feel like you would probably enjoy it, but that's my number four. Probably. I'm a big fan of his style. Um, I, I've yet to see a Danny Boyle film that I don't like at least a little bit. And so I totally think I should, <clears throat> I, I want to finish his filmography. He's got a few obscure ones that I haven't seen. Um, and I've heard <laughs> good things about that one. So I haven't seen 127 hours and I don't really know if I need I, to. I don't think I can. I am already not a big James Franco fan. And <clears throat> the premise of that film, while it is based on a true story and it's a very, you know, telling true story, mind you, like I, I, uh, I get how one would be captivated by it. I don't know that I want to watch it. Um, <clears throat> and I, I've actually seen part of the, the main scene of, you know, like the climax of him. Ugh. Yeah. And I'm trying not to spoil a film that we're not actually talking about, but yeah. I don't know if I can sit through that scene, so I, I kind of am just like, nah, nah, I'm good. Um, all right, Mike's going back to 1984. Uh, it's funny because he almost, if this was from 1983, he'd be going 1981, 1982, 1983. Yeah. But um, we're going with uh, director Alex Cox and his debut of Repo Man, starring our boy Harry Dean Stanton, Emilio Estevez, Tracy Walter, um, Olivia Barash, and I think that's the gist of the big names. I'll say um, Cy Richardson as well. I've only heard of this film. I've actually never seen it. Um, but young punk Otto becomes a repo man after helping us uh, helping to steal a car and stumbles into a world of wackiness as a result. Uh, 75 meta score, 6.9 IMDb user score. Um, you know anything about this movie, Corey? I bought it, but I haven't watched it yet. Ah, because of Harry Dean. Um, also, <laughs> Criterion. <laughs> ah, see, I, which I, I need wanna... to rethink that. You know what I mean? I just. I don't know. No, I get it. I, I'm yeah. guilty of it, too. I have a lot of movies. I don't do it with Criterion, but, but only because mm-hmm. I don't have a Barnes & Nobles like, right next to me. Because if I was looking at the Criterions, like, I'd probably snag more of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can get them online. True, but there's something. There's like a, a buffer that keeps me from just grabbing them. Like the impulse oh. buy online, I've trained to not impulse buy as much online because it yeah. is so easy to just like it's... one click. It's true. I go in and I just pick up two or three of them at least once or twice. It's sad. But usually um, you wait for the 50% off sale. Yeah, and 20 bucks for a Criterion Blu-ray. I, uh, yeah. I feel bad about that. I just wish they would include a digital copy. That's the other thing that stops me from I know. Them. Yeah, I would feel much better about it because, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, because we don't know how long Blu-rays got left, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think they'll be replaced by another physical medium, but uh, given the uh, the trend of music, it's very likely that VHS is going to make a comeback here soon. <laughs> you know? Oh, like, please, God, no. I, I still know. buy some cassettes, but I don't miss cassettes getting eaten in the player. But cassettes are coming back. Like, bands are reissuing cassettes. I know, I have a few. Cassettes. And, um, yeah, and, and then next thing, you know, I don't know. My daughter and wife went to, um, I think they went to the Auburndale Flea Market last week. No, they were at, um, on Tuesday, they went to Vero because Taylor oh, yeah. had like a waiver day and they ended up at like a thrift shop and they bought like four CDs. And I'm like, guys, we have a subscription to Google Play Music that has all of these albums on it. Like, 
There's no reason There's to have a CD. something about being able to hold something in your hand. I totally see it with CDs. I need to sell all of mine. I don't even have a CD player, but I buy records. I understand, like, the sheer joy of being able to hold something in your hands and to look through the packaging that the band or whoever worked so hard on. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I get it with a record, and I get it even with vintage stuff, um, more so than, like, buying modern bands, releasing vinyl or whatever. That's, you know, that's fine. I, I can still get it, though, but... CDs, the, there is a reason. My wife's uh, FM radio has cut out in her car. Um, we don't know. Exa- it, it appears to be like something with the antenna, and it's the old school. It's not the old school. It's the new antenna that's like on the rear window. Oh. Um, and so uh, I've been told that it can just go faulty, and it's not easy to replace because it's on the back window. Um, and so as of right now, she doesn't have FM radio. Uh, she has apps on her phone that can do it, but I, I don't know. It's, it's just, she's not, she misses having like the radio. So I think having a CD that she can just put in the player without having to mess with her phone and stuff makes her happy. So I'm not completely criticizing, but it was like, guys, we have all of these, <laughs> you know? Okay. But whatever. Well, I was also reading recently, not to take over our top five movies, but I was reading an interview with a band or musician, um, Ed Rost, or Rosty from Grizzly Bear, where he has like streaming services and he can download um, any album he wants to, but there's something about him having to go to iTunes or whatever service he uses and he has to buy it and then he feels more, um, oh, what is that word? <sighs> like he spent money on it, like mm-hmm. that particular album and went out of his way to get it and he feels more inclined to listen to it then. Which yeah, I, and I get I, that. Um, and also, I think that there is something to that. Like the band knows, like the band gets more from you buying the album than just streaming it. Mm-hmm. Although I I know they do get some like so much money per stream. So like the more you stream an album, the more money they are making. Um, which is not true of a purchase. A purchase is a one time. Here's how much money you get. So I don't know which is actually better for the band at this point in their careers. But um, you could always do both, I guess. Buy it and then still stream it from your streaming service, but. Um, let's move on, uh, to my number three. And my number three is interesting, because if you look at, uh, my director's IMDb, he's got way more credits than this looking like his debut, but all of them are music videos. And it's director Spike Jones, and his debut, uh, which we watched for Movie Club, again, that isn't an intentional pattern, but it does seem to be something that's happening, uh, being John Malkovich. And that's right. This movie is an insanely ambitious debut. Granted, he'd done tons of music videos, and some of them are very, very impressive, including one of the most iconic videos is the uh, Buddy Holly from Weezer, um, which oh. you know, that video pulls in Happy Days, and it's such a classic video at this point. But um, this was his first feature film, and uh, written by Charlie Kaufman, which is actually why we watched it, because we were watching Charlie Kaufman stuff. Um, back then, and uh, it stars John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, John Malkovich, of course, because it's about being John Malkovich, um, even very young Octavia Spencer, and I, I was so kind of taken, like, all of uh, Kaufman's films have a surrealist vibe to it, but this one, it's so interesting how they, how he f- films things, and how he chooses to show things, um, and that the, being a, a director's first film is pretty impressive. Again, granted, he'd been working behind the camera for a long time making music videos, but still, like, <sighs> transitioning that to a feature. And, of course, he has since had some major uh, successes outside of his music video career because he also directed Her, um, a film that I'm a huge fan of as well. And um, I think he did Where the Wild Things Are, which I've not actually seen the version of it. 
love that book so much and I did not like the movie and I had such high hopes for it because Karen O from Yeah Yeah Yeahs did the muse the soundtrack for it and I'm forgetting his name right now from the Sopranos is one of the voices in it and it just I feel like it's so hard to make something that's so beloved by so many people for like decades and do it justice mm-hmm. definitely for sure um I do own it oh he also directed adaptation which I've been wanting to watch. I just, I think I just bought it, um, and I just haven't got to it yet. But that one is actually another Charlie Kaufman uh, script, but the character is also Charlie Kaufman. But Nicolas Cage is playing Charlie Kaufman, trying to adapt a book that's supposed to be un- unadaptable. Um, but so yeah, he's got quite the the career because again, even between all the the few movies he's made, he has still been making music videos and other videos and shorts. Um, but uh, her is so great and I love the visual look of her and I think John Malkovich has like I really do like the aesthetic of Malkovich it's very muted and um, it's it, it feels old like it feels like very lived in uh, as a movie um, especially like their apartment uh, I don't know how much you remember the movie but it really stuck with me because it was so weird and, and quirky um, oh and Cameron Diaz in that movie mm-hmm. was fantastic yeah one of her best performances for sure and um yeah i i just it's such a great film that to think this was his first feature because it's very different than a music video like you're telling a story in a music video but obviously i guess it, what lends itself to helping with uh film is with music video you're almost having to do a silent film because the music is your is on top of it so you can't have dialogue usually although he does manage to fit some in with, with the weezer video but you know the the story if you're telling a story visually uh you don't get to narrate you don't get to say anything other unless you're you know building it to the lyrics of the song but that might lend itself to this weird quirky style that you see in in being john malkovich and in um i assume adaptation but her is still her is very quiet at times you know there's long pauses in that movie and um i don't know i, I really appreciate his style so he made my list to be fair it's more the movie that made my list because I, I just think that movie's so awesome like that it's a debut <laughs> is just a shock yeah i Wish I'd have known that when I watched it. Yeah, or yeah. been aware of it. I, I, I didn't either, actually, because again, if you look at his IMDb, IMDb credits, there's a bunch of stuff that comes before um, being John Malkovich, but all of it says video or short. None of none of them are features. So, um, <sighs> all right, Corey, we're on your number three. What do you got? Okay, uh, so the oldest movie on my list is not this one, and it's only from 1991, but mine is from 2017, and I don't even feel bad about it. I chose Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird. Um, this was her debut, wasn't it? It is her official debut. She did, uh, I believe she has an uncredited co-directing um, job before that. But if you look it's at uncredited. it, it's uncredited. So I think, and it, that is one of my honorable mentions. So you're you're good in my eyes. Perfect. I told you I was going to take some liberties. So um, I already had like three movies on my list picked out before I even looked at that list. But um, I love this movie so much. It was my number two movie last year. It actually, if we're going to be honest, it's tied with Big uh, Big Sick. Um, I just think it's great. And I wish that I had been more aware of her like acting work also. But we don't get a lot of coming-of-age movies about girls. And I just, I don't know, this one just punched me in the gut. And oh, man. I don't really know what to say about it. I just, had, I just like, love it so much. A, a revelation. Um, oh, God. What? Of, uh, I mean, adding, th- no, no, I'm adding a movie to my um, my honorable mentions that I... Oh, and uh, I bet I know which one. Yeah, pro- um, possibly, but... Yeah, I mean, we don't, like I said, we don't get a lot of coming-of-age movies about girls, but we are both fans of this one. I don't know if Mike has seen it, and I am pretty sure that all three of us love Juno. And I mean, oh, yeah. like, so maybe we don't get a lot of them. 
But the two that come to mind first, I mean, they're fantastic. So at least we have that. Um, yeah, and I, I love this movie. It was actually very hard. I, I left this off my top five for two reasons. Um, one, I thought it was going to be on your list um, because I felt like you were going to go with newer stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to leave anything too new off so that we wouldn't have too much overlap. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing, mind you, that we have overlap. But I, I like to talk about other movies, too. So I figured if you were going to talk about Lady Bird, I could just jump in. And at worst case, I would have it as an honorable mention that I would definitely spend time with because I loved Lady Bird. I saw Lady Bird three times in the theater, um, which I don't do very often, uh, I, although I have seen Tully three times. But to be fair... I saw Tully three times because um, of film festivals, not the normal theater situation, except I did go once to the regular theater. But um, but I, I was so blown away with this film. Now, she does have a directing credit, but it's a co-directing credit um, from previous. But I, I looked up just her separately, not on that list. And there are people who are calling Lady Bird her debut um, mainly because it's a film that got a lot of buzz, where her previous film definitely did not get this type of uh, exposure. I mean, she got nominated for Best Director from this movie, um, so it, it's it's a big deal. Like, this movie was not a small film when it came down to it. It started off as a small film, but it got so much buzz and so much Oscar award nominations that um, people started finally seeing it, and it, it's one of my favorites from the year, um, I and I bought it immediately. My daughter has seen it twice already, too, so... It, it's a it's an excellent film definitely a great pick and worthy of being on a top five list thanks all right so we're at number two and this was this was mike's that i've seen and i when i we i first said that you had seen two i was thinking you had seen this and now i don't think you've seen this um and it's also from 1984 so just to recap mike's movies are 1981 82 84 84 so real close to being chronological here um it's ethan and joel cohen and their debut with blood simple um, which features some really big actors. Francis McDormand's debut as well, actually. Oh. Um, John Getz, uh, Dan Hadea, who you might know as the dad from Clueless. Um, M. Emmett Walsh, who is in a bunch of stuff and is great in this movie. And that's the only big name actors, but McDormand is fantastic in this movie. Even early on, you see um, who she was in three billboards and one for best actress at the Oscars this year. Um, but you see the talent even in this early film, but I love Blood Simple. I bought it um, on the Criterion, and uh, I ended up showing it to my advanced film class this year, um, and they also really enjoyed it. So it holds up. Um, It is so well-structured. It it very much feels like you're watching two people who have been studying film for years craft a almost clinical example of what film can be. Um, It's much... I would say it's cleaner in a lot of ways and feels a little more um, restrained than some of their later films when they get feeling more comfortable that they can explore and experiment where this film just feels like a a masterwork of what a film student would learn at a film school in the best way possible. It does not feel like a film school movie, but man, is it excellent and it's just well-crafted. The story is structured perfectly. Um, it, it is just so fine-tuned. Uh, it just sets up for what you're going to get from the Coens for the rest of their time. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of their films. I don't love every single one. Um, I, I still haven't seen a couple. I still haven't seen Hudsucker Proxy, um, and I have not seen the one with Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, yeah. I can't America's think Sweetheart? No, no, no. That's no. Kevin Cusack. Um, oh, dang. I can't think of what that one is, but uh, that's I can not like a see the cover. But um, okay. it's and then uh, I I did not like the Tom Hanks vehicle. Oh, I just Lady Killers. 
um, which is theirs. And I, I did see that when I was much younger, so maybe I'd like it if I watched it again. But it, from what I've read about it, most people are – that's one of their lesser films. But um, I was very up on their last film, Hail Caesar, which a lot of people hated on. What? Um, that was such a good movie. Oh, it's so great. But <laughs> And funny. Um, that's Mike's number two, though, Blood Simple, which I'm right. You have not seen this? Nope. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, if you're a Cohen fan, it's definitely worth going back to. Um, then obviously you have Miller's Crossing. You just saw uh, for the first time um, No Country for Old Men, which mm-hmm. I love so much. True Grit is amazing. Um, I'm a huge fan of Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Like I, I really really love the Coens, so definitely worth going back and seeing where it all starts. All right, my number two. I think you have seen Corey, um, and it would probably be no surprise if you've been listening to the podcast as I have made a lot of references to this man especially as of late um kevin smith his directorial debut with clerks um i know a lot about this particular debut um i've read kevin smith's autobiography um where he you know discusses going to clerks there's actually a a movie out now um by i can't think of the guy's name but it's called making clerks where um it's kind of like disaster artists it's you know that same idea but with clerks um you know it's much more low budget no big names are behind it but uh, I know Kevin like authorized it and like signed things for the guy. I can't think of the guy's name right now, but um, I really want to see that movie. I'm hoping that it's going to get at least a VOD release because they they basically dramatized the whole process that Kevin Smith went through to make Clerks, which he's documented many times. He spent sixty thousand dollars, I believe, of his own money um, renting equipment, and then he used his actual place of work, the uh, Quick Stop in New Jersey. Uh, that had a video store adjacent, um, cast some local actors from a theater, and uh, shot it in black and white to, uh, I think, to reduce the cost or the need of lighting or something like that. Um, And he then turned around and sold it at Sundance for a million dollars. It's one of the largest turnarounds and kind of set the bar for the indie darling movement uh, between him, Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi, which uh, has a Guinness World Record for um, the biggest turnaround because he only made El Mariachi for $7,000. Holy heck. Yeah. And I believe sold it for a million dollars. So he has the record for the highest grossing indie film, I think, of all time um, or something like that. Like there's some weird wording to, to hit it, but it's actually in the Guinness World Records. Um, and then Tarantino comes out of nowhere with his debut, which easily... I've actually not seen El Mariachi. I've seen his uh, uh, Desperado and Once, Tom, Once Upon a Time in Mexico City, which are the trilogy, I think, together. They all tell like a cohesive story of some kind. But um, I haven't seen that one, so he's not on my list, although definitely deserving. And I, I tend to leave Tarantino off because it's such a expected answer. But I do love Reservoir Dogs, and it's definitely a really strong debut. Um, but Clerks, for me, um, I still love Clerks. The acting is not great. There's a lot of, like, you can tell who's a professional actor and who's struggling. But the the dialogue, um, it was, I think, the first time I ever saw a movie that felt like I was watching my friends on screen. Like, the way they speak to each other and how they talk and what they talk about. It was very much uh, reflective of my world. And so I've always been a fan of Smith's movies. Um, he has soured on me with the last one. Um, I am not a fan of Yoga Hosers. I will defend Tusk. I think Tusk is fine for what it is. Um, and I am, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of his, but I like that movie. <laughs> yeah, and I am, I'm a big fan of Kevin in general, um, especially the self-made part. He saw uh, Richard Linklater's Slackers, and this is according to his autobiography, um, and that inspired him to try to make movies with his friends. And um, you get Clerks, and Clerks holds up. And uh, I love Mallrats. I love I love Chasing Amy, although that's not one I like to go back to frequently because it is a little bit more on the drama side, and it's 
it's a little heavy it's a little long and it's a little preachy at moments um and joey lauren adams gets a little squealy when she gets mad and that that's i don't like the her voice um but i love dogma i dogma is actually not available right now on blu-ray for like an affordable price i'm hoping they're about to re-release it and then um i am a fan of the satirical jane silent bob strike back but um yeah uh, a list of of first-time directing films kevin smith's gonna be on it for me because he's just been such a influence in my own life so that's my number two i figured he was gonna be on your list somewhere surprise it's not number one Uh well he was for a minute um i did make a change right before the the episode uh of someone who i think when i'm looking at my list and like um I, I weighed a lot. Like, uh, some were, how much have they done after? Like, because the Coens were on my list, but I moved them off because Mike had, had them on his list, and I decided, you know, I'm going to talk about them because Mike's not here, so I'll move them off my list. But um, what the Coens have done since their debut is, is so powerful. Same thing with Tarantino. I mean, Tarantino has a style, and Wes Anderson with Bottle Rocket easily could be on my list because his style is, is established with Bottle Rocket, and he's only gotten better with each film. And then there's like Raimi, who he came out the box swinging so hard that I feel like he set the bar so high, eventually he was going to fall short of it. And I think that's where he's at in his career now. Um, And, you know, there's several like that. Um, And Kevin Smith built his empire because of this movie, you know, this big risk. He put his own money into this film. If it had failed, who knows what he would do. But instead, it it succeeded and he's built his whole career um, based on that, you know, and I, I respect that immensely. Um, he didn't need a studio system and, and although he was a part of Miramax and unfortunately a part of the Harvey Weinstein empire that has crumbled to the ground, um, Kevin has, that's the other thing I love about Kevin Smith is he has like no skeletons. Like it seems like everything about him is just on front street and he's just the most down to earth guy. And, um, you may or may not like the type of guy he is, but he's going to show you who he is and, uh, despite like all these allegations that have come out, um, especially with other people around Weinstein, Smith has been never discussed outside of him apologizing and feeling guilty for being a part of the Weinstein empire. But otherwise, you know, um, there's been no accusations leveled at him. And considering how vulgar he can be, it wouldn't have shocked me if there had been some that came out. Just not even that he tried anything, but just that he said something that offended somebody and you know, or whatever, and that hasn't even been a thing, because he's just genuinely this, this guy, and I, I you know, I don't mean to, to dwell, and obviously I am a fanboy, um, when it comes to Smith, I am still willing to criticize, I think I've proven that, if you read my Yoga Hosers review, um, I will criticize him like I'll criticize anybody else's films, um, but he is somebody I look up to and admire in many ways, so, I'll, I'll let you go now with your number two. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. No, I'm kidding. So my number two is new also. And I think that, um, in defense of all of that, I feel like I haven't always been aware of directors. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For sure. So, um, this, another woman on my list. Oh, great. And everybody knows that I'm such a fan of this film. I chose 2014's The Babadook. And here we are, and it's Mother's Day. And it's taking everything in me not to share a still from the movie with Happy Mother's Day. You totally should. I should, and then I'll make everyone mad. But I'm going with uh, The Babadook from 
uh, directed by Jennifer Kent. And I just got a little nervous because apparently this is her like feature film directorial debut, but she based this film off of an earlier short that she made called Monster in 2005. This still counts. Okay, yes. But I didn't, at first I was like, oh my God, is it another, you know what I mean? I thought yeah, that yeah. she was just going through and she has more of a budget and remade the movie or whatever. But I love this movie so much. Um, I so desperately want to be scared. And I know that that sounds so stupid, but I just think that it's fun to be scared when you're not actually in, you know, you're not actually in any, no chance of you actually being harmed, I guess. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't get scared when I watch movies. And this movie, I was one of three people in the movie theater. The hairs on my arm were standing up and I was genuinely creeped out. I loved it so much that as soon as it was available, I had to buy it and I made Bill watch it and Bill was actually very surprised. But um, I just love everything about this film and I love that it's directed and written by a woman. I'm so excited that she's making another movie. I'm kind of glad that she, I think that she was trying to direct Wonder Woman, which would have been good because it's such a big budget movie, but I just feel like she's smarter than that. Oh, hold on now. Let's not insult Patty Jenkins. No, 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 no. no. I love Wonder Woman, but I just feel like, uh, I don't know how to just explain it. I get what you're saying. Um, Like, I just think that she can do much more with a film than just, I don't know. It is sad to see the speed of her film turnaround, because it looks like she has a film set to come out this year called The Nightingale. Um, Mm -hmm. Or it's already, it may already be, I don't know, it says 2019. No, I I think it's still, she's still working on it is what, she's currently filming her second film. okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's crazy that there's four years between, and they're still filming it, so it may not come out this year, even though it currently says that it is, but um, she's got three on her list, though. Uh, Alice and Frida Forever, Whoever Brought Me Here, and The Nightingale are all listed as directing. So they, those could be in production or just maybe in talk, still not officially doing them yet, but um, I this film is one that uh, grew on me the farther away I've been since I watched it. Like, the more I think back to it, the more I'm like, man, that really was great. Um, I, horror, horror and I have a weird relationship anyways. Um, you know, I want the movies to scare me. And a lot of times if they don't, I don't connect with them. Um, and I've hated some of the most popular horror films. So I, I am, uh, the fact that I really enjoy this one and that I actually bought it for my classroom too, um, is, is, it says something, um, at least about my taste, I guess. So yeah, a uh, great pick actually. Thanks. And so I feel like I was insulting to Patty Jenkins and that was not my intention, I just feel like she, I don't know. I feel like you watch The Babadook and a lot of people don't see eye to eye on what it's about. And I still don't understand why he was like the gay pride symbol. Mm. I don't know what movie they were watching because um, I don't feel like there's anything. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. know. That. That's, that's Yeah, it was like really big last year, the year before. I just didn't understand it because you know what I think about the movie and what I believe it's about. But Which I think is uh, accurate reading. Um, the more I've looked into it, the more I think you are spot on with that um i don't know that's interesting um let's move uh we're, we're down to the number ones and let's, uh, i'm sure you've seen mike's number one um director richard kelly debuts with donnie darko in 2001 um uh, metascore 88 8.1 uh we've definitely talked about this film on this podcast before uh jake gyllenhaal jenna malone mary mcdonald um maggie gyllenhaal of course uh holmes osborne Patrick Swayze, Drew Barrymore, James Duvall. I mean, this movie's got tons and tons of people. Um, and I didn't actually realize it was his debut um, until Mike had it on his list, um, which is not saying that he's wrong or anything. I just somehow overlooked this one. Um, he did do... He has another film in front of it called Visceral Matter, but I'm thinking that this was a indie film that didn't go anywhere, and it's barely a feature. It's only 48 minutes. Uh, my understanding, uh, according to the Academy... 
a feature film is 45 minutes or more so he just just made that um mm-hmm. since then this is a good example of a director who may have peaked too fast because it goes donnie darko and then five years go by before he directs southland tales which i think has a bit of a cult following but is not a big well-received film and then he did 2009's the box with um james marsden and cameron diaz which looked really bad in the trailer so i have not seen it um and so yeah his career has not been uh following the strength of his first film of donnie darko but donnie darko has a huge cult following a lot of people love this movie so it makes perfect sense that it would be on mike's uh list i need to rewatch it i do too i've only seen it the one time and i actually really want to watch the director's cut um because I hear it explains some things a little more, uh, like the book uh, in the movie. It gets into more details in the book, I believe. Um, I went for a debut. Uh, the one that made the most sense for me to have as my number one um, was George A. Romero for yes. Night of the Living Dead. Because this film did so many things uh, that when you think that it's his first feature film, it, it's insane. It's insane to think. Now, it's definitely debatable the quality of some of his later work, how good they are, how bad they are. But uh, his early stuff and the first four, I would say, zombie movies, from well, first three, for sure, that he does, Night of the Living Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, are all fantastic to me, Um, especially, though, Dawn and Night of. Um, But Night of the Living Dead did so many things. Obviously, making a black protagonist at the time in 1968 was not the norm. How it deals with uh, the racism of the time is outstanding um in the film itself uh and most importantly think of the legacy of zombies how important zombies are to our culture right now uh, in terms of pop culture they are one of the most money-making um properties that a a film or tv person can get involved with and they are still using uh, romero's formula from 1968 so when you think that this was his debut, talk about leaving a legacy for yourself. You know, that this this movie sets so much tonally for the culture that we're going to live in. Um, it shows a brilliant mind who is able to craft a really compelling story um, and one that just holds up for a long, long time. And uh, he did pass last year, I believe. Um, but if you get a chance, there's a really cool documentary. Um, uh, I can't even think of what it's called now, but it's about him making Night of the Living Dead. It's really, really cool. I watched it last year or the year before on Netflix. Um, you know, and he did... Um, there's some other movies. Uh, the Crazies was also influential in 73. Um, and then, again, I, I love Dawn of the Dead. Um, oh, and you, one of your favorites, Creep Show from 82. Creep Show. And I'm pretty sure that he worked on Creep Show 2 also, which I'm really surprised. Maybe he was just a, not just a producer, but I was looking at that. I'm kind of I will surprised. say, I like Land of the Dead, um, but then, like, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead Ooh. are not good. Um, and Land of I didn't Dead, watch I Survival. Yeah, I, I saw both. Um, not a fan of either. Uh, Land of the Dead's not perfect, mind you, but there's it's enjoyable, where like the other two I just mentioned are kind of tough to watch. Um, but uh, Romero, I was also told, and I've not fact-checked this, but I was told um, that Fred Rogers, or Mr. Rogers, uh, he was a camera person for the Mr. Rogers show, and he told Fred Rogers that he wanted to make films, and Fred Rogers, being Fred Rogers, told him, you should do it. So I have not fact-checked that. Um, I, I got that from a Harvard psychologist, though. And uh, that Harvard psychologist who told me that story um, is a co-worker of another Harvard psychologist that I uh, know through my job. And I know for a fact that that other one um, was very close personal friends with George Romero. 
And so I feel like that's an accurate story. I don't know for, again, I've not fact-checked it, but I feel like my sources are only like uh, two away from the actual person. So I feel pretty confident that that's a legit thing, that Fred Rogers is partly responsible for Romero making feature films. So That's awesome. Yes, it is, because I am a huge Fred Rogers fan right now. Um, but we are at your number one, Corey. What do you have? Okay, so I feel like I'm kind of surprised, but um, I have 2007's Murder Party by Jeremy Saunier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, of course, I don't feel like any of mine are a big surprise, but um, I this was not his first movie that I watched. That was Blue no. Ruin, which mm-hmm. I rewatched recently and is still just as good. Um, sometimes when I hype up movies so much to myself and I love them so much and I go back and I watch them and I'm a little disappointed. So that didn't happen and that's good. But uh, Murder Party, I went back to watch. Um, I don't think it's streaming anywhere. You have to buy it, but I think it's only like seven or eight bucks on Amazon and it's totally worth it. Um, it has my boy making player in it. Um, yes. But it's... It, I love Halloween. I love that he finds this, you know, this random invitation on the street for a Halloween party. And it's really, they're just trying to get somebody to murder for their art school project, which mm-hmm. is so ridiculous. But and that's I the just funniest think, part is that they're not yeah. sociopaths. They're, they're like hipsters who think it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're and that. Oh, I just love it so much. It's so funny. I don't know. <laughs> and again, it's definitely a dark comedy. Um, but yeah, I, I considered that one. Um, I think what hurts me with that is I didn't see it first and I saw what he then does. And like the other movies are so great that like and Murder Party's great. Don't get me wrong. It's a very good debut. But like if in my head, Saulnier was introduced to me with Green Room. And if Green Room was his debut, that would probably be my number one on this list for sure. But uh, I love and uh, Blue Ruins. I think a better movie than Green Room, but it's not as fun to watch. Like Green Room is way more engaging. Blue Ruin is a slow burn that I... pays off immensely. Oh. But um, and I'm not saying slow burn in a bad way, but it is not like Green Room is nonstop on the edge of your seat. Holy crap! What's gonna happen from? Oh my god! I can't breathe right now. Fifteen minutes uh, in, yeah, yeah. Um, and but I I'm a huge Sonya fan. I can't wait to see his new movie this year. Um, I hope it's great. Uh. I don't have any honorable mentions for Mike, but I have a bunch for myself, so that will work. But that is our top five directorial debut, folks. Um, let's go through some honorable mentions. So I mentioned earlier that I could have easily made my list just from the last five years. Mm-hmm. And so Jordan Peele, Get Out, uh, is an amazing directorial debut that uh, he won uh, Best Original Screenplay for. I, I He's basically got a check to make whatever movie he wants, which is exciting because he had opportunities to go into like big blockbuster type stuff. And instead, he's making another horror film. Um, and they, they just announced, I, I think it's called Us, but now I'm, I feel like that might be wrong. Um, but I, the poster's out now, and it's a teaser poster. It's like a silhouette on a gray background. It's very, very minimalistic, but awesome at the same time because um, can't wait to see what he does next because I was so blown away by that. Uh, one I have seen that most people have not seen as a directorial debut because it's from this year is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, um, which is phenomenal. <gasps> I saw the trailer for that. Oh, it was before, um, oh, geez, what movie? Not Isle of Dogs. It was before... Tully, probably. Yeah, Tully, and it looks so good. I've been yeah. hearing a little bit of buzz about it, though, anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, we When we saw I Feel Pretty, actually, uh, they had the 8th grade trailer, and the trailer made me cry again. Like I was like in tears from the trailer because, because... of how great that movie is. Also, here we are from, like, a girl's perspective, and I don't know about all the other girls, but 8th grade is when it got real hard. Like, it was already hard, but there was just, like, this huge sense of even more awkwardness and being unsure of myself, and 
So I yeah. just feel like, holy heck, well, like it just, the trailer what, blew me away. What's so interesting is that Bo Burnham is a guy. Yeah. But the, he wrote which... it with a female perspective. And um, from every account that I've heard, and from my, I'm a parent of an eighth grader right now, um, he nailed it. And uh, from from the horse's mouth, the uh, the actress was at South by Southwest with him. And I got to hear a Q&A with them. And she basically said he nailed it. Um, and uh, she's terrific. The casting is perfect. Um, he is, he's, if his debut is anything for his future, we are in for some amazing films from this guy. Uh, his debut is, is so incredible. Probably deserves to be in my top five, to be honest. Um, I'm going to go with another film from South by Southwest that I saw. Um, and I won't, I will admit a little bias because I've talked to this director a few times and she is very cool. And hopefully we're going to have her on the podcast, uh, in August, but her, uh, Augustine Frizzle. Her debut film, Never Going Back, is a buddy comedy with two female high school high school age, like 17-year-old uh, females. It's very much in the vein of Friday, um, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, she's actually currently busy directing a new series on HBO that she got right after this film uh, debuted at South By. And uh, her movie is playing at the, um, I think there's another Sundance Festival, but it's like a Eastern Sundance. It's something weird. It's some like variation on Sundance. Uh, Never Going Back is going to be there as well. But um, just those are the only ones I'm going to spend this much time with. I'm going to power through. I mentioned Greta Gerwig um, with your review. She's on my, my honorable mentions. Ryan Coogler, who uh, debuted with Fruitvale Station, who's now super famous for Black Panther. Um, Alex Garland for Ex Machina, which is oh, what, what a yeah. debut, right? Like to come out with that. Um, I am a big fan of Zach Braff's style uh, because I am into that whole indie dad type movie. But Garden State, uh, his debut, I think really sets the tone for his style. Um, Tom McCarthy. Uh, I can't remember what he did later, but I actually really like Station Agent. Um, Matthew Vaughn, Layer Cake is a freaking awesome film that uh, his other films are the... Um, Kingsman films are great. Uh, Ryan Johnson, Brick, which you didn't really like. I loved, uh, but he just did Star Wars. So another great example of what you can go. Um, and then uh, Tom Hanks, his debut is That Thing You Do, which seems a little unfair, of course, because he had worked on a whole bunch of movies long before uh, he directed one. So he definitely knew the ins and outs of the industry. And it shows uh, That Thing You Do is a really great example of a directorial debut of an actor who uh, turned director. So, um, Oh, and I just thought of Ben Affleck's The Town would be also really good. <gasps> that uh, was a good movie. Yeah, I really like The Town a whole lot. So, um, All right, what do, you, do you have any honorable mentions? Yes, I have George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, um, Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which yeah. I... Who was I talking about that movie with recently? And we were like, and it went downhill because I watched... I tried to watch, like, The Toolbox Murders and... Um, John Hughes, Sixteen Candles, even though that was not my favorite John Hughes yeah. movie. Tim Burton, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I don't know about you, but I grew up on Pee Wee, and I just I did too. Love, and I rewatched that movie I think last year, and it's just so great. Um, and then I have Tom Hanks, That Thing You Do. Oh, very nice. Um, since you didn't mention, uh, I do want to throw George Miller for Mad Max. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I do like the original. It's nowhere near as good as Road Warrior or Fury Road, uh, but it, it still it sets the tone for that style. Um, and F. Gary Grant uh, for directing Friday, and then he would go on to direct some other really influential films, but I'm a big fan of Friday. I think that is one of my favorite comedies from the 90s, and um, I, I think it might be the best pot-related comedy um, because like you, it may not be the nonstop laughing, like, like half baked is like almost nonstop laughter, 
but it doesn't really have like a message behind it where friday has like some really positive story points to it and ice cube wrote that and um i really like that film so I, I wanted to throw him on there i don't i'm definitely more of a fan of the film than i am of f gary grant no offense to f gary grant i'm just not as familiar um and then i wanted david fincher but his debut is alien 3 and i don't i don't like that movie enough to put it on my like, top five you know but i'm a big david fincher fan so uh, he started there he started with alien 3 <laughs> um heck yep so that is our episode folks uh, we will be back in two weeks with another top five movies and an important one because it'll be our episode number 100. Um, hopefully it'll be the whole crew, Mike, Corey, and myself um, as we break down our next topic, which I think we're going to hold off on announcing what the list is since it's a big episode. But it will have something to do with double zeros. I'll say that. Uh, you can email us at contact at BerkReviews.com. Keep up with my reviews and anyone else's reviews at BerkReviews.com. We have random contributions from time to time. Um, and uh, you can follow us on social media. I'm at Burke Reviews. Corey? At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. And Mike is at Server Monkey, like uh, like a web server, not a person who brings you hors d'oeuvres. Um, and I think that is our episode. So until next time, keep watching movies. <laughs> <laughs>